0: You're listening to an Ancient Future podcast, produced by St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm your host, Jamie Howison. This is episode 11 in our ongoing serialization of John Bodicher's book, Ten Steps on Freedom Road, Why the Commandments Are Good News. In this episode, John considers the commandment against theft, you shall not steal, which he frames as freedom for ownership. This is John Bodicher.
1: Chapter 11 Freedom for Ownership. The eighth commandment in Exodus says, You shall not steal. On the surface, this commandment seems pretty simple. Do not take something that belongs to someone else. Why not? Well, we do not want someone else to take something that belongs to us. So, if we all play by this rule, everyone will be safe, including us. By this reading, in which we take ownership as obvious, defined by current possession and legal precedent, I have never broken this commandment, making it the only one about which I can make that claim. Unfortunately for my claim, it's not so simple. Let's start on the personal level. Sometimes stealing takes place in the open using violence. We usually do not have trouble seeing that as wrong. Then there is theft or sneaky stealing like shoplifting. It appears that some of us find it easy to excuse that when we do it and may even admire others who do it skillfully. And what about the time I found the $20 bill in a parking lot? Did I make any effort to find the person who might have lost it? Or suppose I want to unload some of my stuff, and someone else, perhaps out of ignorance or desperation, offers me much more than what I know it to be worth. Do I take what is offered, or only what I know to be a fair price? Or suppose I take a job, and discover that the supervision is lax. Is it stealing to give less than my full attention to the work, or to take some extra time off and still be fully paid? The commandment might seem simple, but it is remarkably easy to excuse myself for taking advantage of opportunities to appropriate what I know belongs to another. In fact, it is not hard to find people who will tell us that such sneaky stealing is actually a sign of ambition, an indication of our eagerness to get ahead in the world. It gets even more complicated when we consider the social, political, and economic dimensions of life. Sometimes it's fairly obvious. A bankruptcy law is passed which says that investors in a failed enterprise get their money back, but the pensioners who are owed their pensions as deferred wages get only what is left after everything else is settled. Or, legislators who have come to depend upon the contributions of the wealthy design tax systems which allow the wealthy to shelter their money from taxation while the rest of the population makes up the difference. Wealth allows some to buy promotion, power, and recognition to which they would not otherwise be entitled. All these are forms of theft. Less obvious is the robbery stealing through violence, committed by governments, who sometimes call it war and sometimes colonization. North Americans are increasingly becoming aware of the fact that most of us are able to call our nation ours only because the land was taken, sometimes by violence and sometimes by intimidation or deceit from those who were here before. This colonial expansion by European nations, which allowed them to exploit the natural resources of Africa, Asia, and the Americas, was the basis for the emergence of the economic system we call capitalism, a system in which those who have wealth can use it to make more. While some nations have found ways to mitigate, partially, some of the problems this system inevitably produces, the logic of a purely capitalist economy leads to ever-increasing inequality and environmental degradation. When people submit to this outcome and regard it as somehow just, we may call it sneaky stealing, theft. When this system is upheld by violence and political corruption, We may call it robbery. Either way, those of us who benefit from a capitalist economy, for example, those who, as I do, profit from retirement funds, those people are complicit in the violation of this commandment. Even if it is perfectly legal and admired as a sign of success, and even if we are unaware of those from whom our wealth is taken, we are violating the commandment, no stealing. I'm well aware of the argument that capitalism, by fostering economic growth, serves the common good by making us all, eventually, richer. But, as long as economic growth is distributed unequally, and the human future threatened by unsustainable exploitation of natural resources, I remain convinced that the commandment is warning us that our freedom is being lost. Since it appears to be impossible to avoid stealing while living in this present world, how can the commandment lead to freedom rather than to condemnation, especially since recent experience seems to indicate that an anti-capitalist revolution leads to alternatives, which turn out to be even more restrictive of freedom. I believe there is a way of looking at and living out ownership which is non-violently subversive of capitalism in its current form, and which expresses economically the freedom to which God calls us. Do not steal is a clear affirmation of ownership, except that we begin by recognizing the ownership of others and reasoning from there to ourselves, rather than beginning in the self-interested way we noted above, that is, If I want to protect mine, I should let others protect theirs. This affirmation of ownership through a commandment given to the community called Israel opens our eyes to recognize that not only our freedom, but everything we have to sustain our lives is a gift. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They did not have property. They were property. God brought them into the wilderness and gave them such food, manna, and water, from a rock, as were needed. Eventually, they were led to a land where they could prosper, a land of milk and honey. Property and goods are given to us to sustain our life in community. The reason not to take the goods or property of our neighbor is because God has given life-sustaining ownership to the neighbor and to us. What we own is given to us for a good purpose by the one who loves us and has set us on Freedom Road. The commandment, then, calls us to recognize the gift and purpose of ownership. It calls us to gratitude and responsibility. Christians have sometimes spoken of this as exercising stewardship. A free community is one in which each person recognizes what has been given to them. That is why we do not steal, and that is how we experience the freedom of ownership for ourselves. Martin Luther put it very well in his brief catechism. We are to fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or property or get them in any dishonest way, but help the neighbor to improve and protect his or her property, and means of making a living. How is this subversive of what we call capitalism? Let's start on the personal and local level. Focusing first on the needs and rights of our neighbor rather than our own, the commandment gives us a different perspective on our economic activity. For example, I may have a job. Its first purpose is helping those whom I'm working for and with to serve the community in a particular way. Let's say I wait on tables in a restaurant. The purpose of the establishment is to serve tasty, nutritious, and healthy food to its customers at a reasonable price. Fulfilling this purpose makes the community a better place. My purpose is to help the customers feel welcome, to help them choose a good meal, to bring them their food in a prompt and friendly way, and perhaps to clear the table when they are finished, thus helping them have the most enjoyable, healthy experience possible. Fulfilling that purpose serves both my customers and my employer. Now, when I see my work in that way, it is no longer just a job. It has become a vocation. I own the work as my expression of who I am, and of how I am able to serve my community. Consequently, I own the fruits of my work, and I'm responsible for judging how best to use them in the enjoyment of life and the service of my family, my friends, and my community. My work becomes an expression of my freedom in a free community. But wait! Isn't the purpose of a business to make as much profit as possible? Isn't the purpose of a job to make as much money as possible? Well, I promised you a way to be subversive. Now you can begin to see what I mean. An economic system whose goal is merely to enrich my business, my shareholders, and my bank account as much as possible is clearly destructive of community, its quality of life, and finally its freedom. Since I am part of that community, My freedom is finally compromised as well. Anyone who goes to work out of necessity alone is, in truth, a slave. Those who hire others only in order to advance their own interests are, in a sense, slave owners. We have moved from the personal dimension through the economic and social dimensions. Now, let's move to the political. I am arguing that the commandment against stealing has powerful political implications. Domestically, it means that the purpose of government is to serve the common good. Public policy and law should respect and encourage responsible ownership, but not just for some, such as wealthy potential contributors to election campaigns. Public education, health care, housing policy... And environmental, labor, and taxation laws have a vital role to play in encouraging all citizens to engage in ownership, that is, to live their lives in a way which enables them to make a contribution to their community. To doctrinaire socialists, this probably sounds conservative. To doctrinaire conservatives, this probably sounds socialist. So, can you see why I regard it? as non-coercively subversive of capitalism. In our current political and social climate, the common good is taken to mean the sum of private goods. But, if we understand the freedom of ownership in the context of the commandment, we see that faithful ownership means responsibility to and for our community. For example, that means owning our natural environment in such a way that this precious and amazing gift of God is not being stolen from future generations. Finally, let us ask a few questions about how freedom of ownership might influence relations between nations and their governments. Is the current obsession with the security of boundaries, expressed in its most extreme form by the building of walls an expression of freedom, or a fear? Is military engagement in the internal conflicts of other nations a way to help protect the freedom of our neighbors, or is it done to protect our own economic interests in the region? Can empire building, including the economic empires of capitalism, result in true commonwealth, or is it always a form of domination and theft? When we take seriously the commandment against stealing, it will influence the ways we understand and answer such questions.
0: You've been listening to a podcast in our serialization of John Bodicher's book, Ten Steps on Freedom Road, Why the Commandments are Good News. I'd invite you to consult the show notes where you'll find a link to the web post for this episode. And on that post, we will be including each of the episodes as they're released so that it's easy for you to go back and pick up one that you may have missed. 10 Steps on Freedom Road, Why the Commandments are Good News, is easily available through many booksellers, both online and the bricks and mortar sort. And a particularly affordable edition of the book in Kindle format is available through Amazon. Music for this series was provided by Steve Bell. We are grateful to Signpost for their permission to use this music. We're also grateful to John for taking the time to so carefully record these, to Kevin Grummet, Larry Campbell, and Bram Ryan, who did a lot of the background work on this audio, and to you for taking the time to listen, to think, to dig deeper with us in these podcasts. I'm your host, Jamie Howison,